Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And good evening, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Friday Night Six Pack. I am your host, as always, Tony Defio, and I thank you for joining me on this humid but lovely Friday evening in Pittsburgh, PA. And as I always say, I hope it's a lovely Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon, wherever you happen to be in Steeler Nation. It's uh, almost officially summer, so I guess we don't have to worry about any kind of... uh, winter or spring weather anymore. So before I continue with tonight's show, I please ask you to like and subscribe to our Behind the Curtain YouTube channel. We bring you live podcasts each and every day and night. We bring you this show every Friday. We bring you the Touchdown Under show every Friday afternoon or Friday evening at five, a few hours before this show. Uh, we have we run the north with, with Kevin Tate. We have bad language with, with Brian Anthony Davis. We have the Steelers preview with uh, Brian and, and 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 Jeff Hartman and Dave Schofield. We have the Scobro show with with uh, Dave Schofield and, and Rich Schofield. We have Know Your Enemy or the Curtain Call, depending on what time of year it is, with Jeffrey Benedict and Shannon White. We have the Hangover. And that's on uh, Monday nights with uh, Brian and Shannon and yours truly. We have the Steelers Q&A every Sunday night. And I'll be joining Jeremy Betts this Sunday night at 8 o'clock for this week's version of the Steelers Q&A. I think that's all of our shows. We have post-game stuff. We, you know, we, we always have live shows. And you can catch those also live on Facebook. So if you're watching me on Facebook right now, you already know that. And you can catch all of our live shows after the fact on any audio platform of your choosing. Me, I personally like iHeartRadio, but for whatever reason, my app hasn't been working on my TV all week. I don't know. I, I try to 
tune in to listen to people's shows and I get kicked right out. So I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'll have to uninstall it and reinstall it. We'll see. So uh, any audio platform you, you, you can find and uh, we, there are, there are so many of them. So you, you, you will not be able to have trouble. You will have no trouble finding our shows. And we also have a whole host of audio only shows that we, 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 we produce for you. And then we, we, publish them for you to listen to after the fact, including Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman, The Stat Geek with Dave Schofield, uh, The Steelers Fix with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar, uh, From the Cutting Room Floor with Jeffrey Benedict, um, What Ian's Talking About with Kyle Kreiss, The Steelers Half Hour Power Hour with Chris Pugh, and, and a whole host of others. So please check those out. And please check out Behind the Still Curtain, the website where we bring you news, commentary, film breakdown. It might be the, the slow time for the Steelers themselves, but for us, we're always working hard to bring you great content. So please check it out. It's your one-stop shop for all your Steelers' needs. And let's check out the live chat. Let's see what we have in the live chat. Who was number one tonight? I think we have a different uh, champion tonight, and we do. Steelers Chick 46, although she's a, a past champion. A frequent champion, but she beat out Daredevil this time, which is hard to do. So congratulations and welcome. We have Sean Manahan, Steelers Pittsburgh, Southside Dock. Sherry Richards, who says, hey, Tony, what's up? George Teston, a regular of ours. Danny Owens Jr., who says, hey, Tony, Reginald Rivers, who says, what's up, Steelers Nation from Bartlett, Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, I want to watch that new Elvis movie. I think I'm more excited about that than I am about Top Gun. Uh, I'm more of a stuff about Elvis and those kind of movies that's more my speed than than uh, Top Gun movies, although they have their place. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's supposed to be really good, so we'll see. Evan Gullis is with us. Just me, Kathy Ford, State of the Pits, State of the Steelers. And I think I have everybody so far. Yes, Daredevil's with us. All right, Daredevil comes in. All right. Well, everybody, it's an off night. So welcome, Daredevil. So let's talk about the title of the show, the theme of the show, and that's about, excuse me, I have something on my screen here. I, I look blue, but I don't feel blue. Anyway, um, as the title of the show suggests, the big news of this week was the contract extension signed by Mika Fitzpatrick, the Decorated safety, the very important safety, arguably the best safety in the NFL. The new Troy Polamalu, the new Troy Polamalu, at least as it pertains to what the Steelers like to do. Uh, so that was a that was a huge relief to a lot of fans. Um, the deal was for seventy three point six million over four years, a four year extension beyond uh, twenty twenty two. And thirty-six million guaranteed, eighteen point zero four average annual salary for Fitzpatrick. So, I think it's about what most people thought he would get, whether here or elsewhere, if he would hit, if he if he would have hit the open market. So it wasn't much of a surprise. The details, um, uh, but I was a bit surprised that it, that it, it happened so fast. It was a pleasant surprise if you're really wringing your hands about whether they sign him or not. And 
you know me, I'm a pretty uh, easygoing fella. I uh, take things as they come. I, I, I don't really worry that much about stuff like that. Um, cause he, he had this year and they could always franchise tag him if they wanted to. So that stuff doesn't really bother me, but I know it bothers a lot of people. And, you know, last year with the TJ Watt situation, uh, there was a lot of concern about that. A lot of questions about whether or not it would get done. And namely because the Steelers had never really guaranteed huge money beyond the first year of a contract other than Ben Roethlisberger. I think we can safely assume that, but they weren't one to do that. And there was no doubt last year, they were going to have to do that to, to get TJ Watt in the fold. They were going to have to guarantee him money beyond the first year of his contract and lots of it. 80 to a hundred million was the, uh, was, was going to be the, the, the number anywhere in that range. It turned out to be 80 million, but, people were talking about a hundred million, you know, and, and there were concerns about whether they would do it. And there were also concerns about should they do it? Because yeah, TJ Watts, a fantastic player. Obviously he proved it. Um, uh, tenfold last year with the, the season he had 22 and a half sacks and you know, everything else he contributed and defensive player of the year. So he's arguably the best defensive player in the NFL besides Aaron Donald, who's, always going to be up here until he falls off. He's just that dominant, but either way, TJ Watts up there, but he's not a quarterback, you know, and, and do you, do you guarantee that kind of money to a quarter uh, to a, a non quarterback position? And yes, other teams had, had obviously uh, began to do that, but where the Steelers going to do that. And, you know, if they didn't, they were going to lose. They probably were going to lose TJ Watt, and it was going to make it harder for them to to um, make negotiate deals with future stars or their own and other teams star, you know, free agents. So they got the deal done with TJ Watt, and it happened literally on the eve of the regular season, and everybody, you know, breathed a sigh of relief. But you knew there were other contracts on the horizon, namely Fitzpatrick. He, he was going to be seeking a deal that was going to make him the highest paid safety in the history of the NFL. All these guys are in the business of making themselves the highest paid at their position in the history of the league whenever their contracts are up. Whenever, they're, whenever it's time for them to make big money, they want to be paid more than any other player who came before them. They want to set the market. They want to set a, a precedent, a new level of uh, financial status, so to speak. So uh, would they do it? And of course they did. And I kind of figured it would be roughly half of what they gave TJ Watt in terms of, of uh, guaranteed money, mainly because, I mean, you know, the kind of player that Watt is, he might not be a quarterback, but, you know, you know what they say, you pay the quarterback, you pay the guy he throws to, you pay the guy who protects his blind side, and you pay the guy who who covers the receiver, and you pay the guy who gets after the quarterback. And T.J. Watt falls into that category. So uh, safety is not believed to be as valuable as a pro prolific pass rusher, but there's no denying 
that for what he does, Mika Fitzpatrick is the best at what he does in, in the NFL as far as not only being a free safety, a deep safety, but he can he can do so many other things. He can, he can uh, play in the slot. Uh, they move, move him around so much. And that's been a bone of contention with him in the past, but I think he kind of explained it the other day. You know, look, I was new uh, in the league and they were having me, having me do all of these things, but I really wanted to get comfortable as a free safety and, and getting that position down. And then, you know, I'd feel more comfortable freelancing, moving around, doing the different things they wanted me to do as my talent dictated it. So I think, you know, moving forward, he's going to be doing more and more of that. So uh, as far as what it means for the Steelers, I think it, it sets a good precedent because, you know, they proved last year they were willing to step up and, and get with the times and, and dish out loads of guaranteed money, which is what you have to do now. There's no other way around it. You know, you could have, as an organization, you can have your own roles, your own um, standards of doing business, but, you know, the, the players have so much more power now than they ever did. So you can have those standards, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You have to kind of kind of meet the times. And that's what they did last year with TJ Watt. That's what they did with Mika Fitzpatrick uh, this week. So uh, it tells me that, number one, they're willing to do whatever they can to keep their own star players. You know, they when free agency first started started back in the 90s, they were still at Three River Stadium. I don't think they had the um, the uh, revenue streams that they do now. Obviously, they, of course they didn't. But um, as far as their way of doing business, you know, they were always known as more of a frugal franchise. And they certainly weren't up there with the Giants or the Cowboys or teams like that that, that maybe had different ways of making money. So in the 90s, a lot of their big-time free agents – their own free agents left, you know, they, they retained a few here and there, but mostly you expected their guys to leave. But starting in about, let's say the mid two thousands, once um, Roethlisberger came into fold, they started keeping their, their big time players, whether it be Troy Polamalu, James Harrison, obviously Ben Heinz Ward. Um, so, they 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 kind of changed the way they did business by instead of all right we we have these young guys that we drafted we're gonna we're gonna groom them and then by their fourth or fifth year they're gonna replace the veterans as they leave it for free agency so they they kind of changed um, how they did business and I wondered quite frankly if if they were gonna kind of go back to their old ways once Ben was out, was out of the picture and they didn't have to build. They didn't have him to build a team around. Well, this shows me with TJ Watt last year and Fitzpatrick this year, they're going to continue to do what they can to keep their vital players. Obviously, they can't keep everybody, you know, but uh, the players that, that are building blocks, the players that represent the core of the team, the foundation of the franchise, they're going to they're gonna do what they can to keep. And certainly, uh, Watt and Fitzpatrick are two key players for them. So... So that's that's to me that was good news, and also I think it 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 helps 
keep their reputation intact. Because believe me, you don't want to get a reputation in sports as being a a franchise that you just don't want to go to because they don't want to pay you, um, you know, the market price. You know, I'm, I remember watching a a uh, a feature about the 1985 NFL draft, and and the Vikings had the number two pick, but they had a reputation for not paying their players. And Bill Freilich, who was a pit lineman, offensive lineman, and expected to be one of the top few players selected in that draft. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist, believe it or not. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not coming to Minnesota. You can do whatever you want. You can draft me, but I'm not coming to Minnesota. Uh, Bernie Kosar, who uh, was going to get uh, selected by the Vikings, had he entered the regular draft, decided to forego the regular draft and, and, and entered the supplemental draft because um, I forget who, who, who was it? The, the Browns, obviously it was the Browns. He, that's, he tortured the Steelers for years. How, how could I forget that? But the Browns traded up to get the number one pick in the supplemental draft. So he entered the supplemental draft to avoid being drafted by the Vikings. And the Vikings wound up with Chris Dolman, which wasn't a bad consolation prize. He turned out to be the best of those three players. But the point was, uh, they were doing these, these uh, players were doing things to avoid being drafted by the Vikings. And obviously, you know, about John Elway are uh, ref- flat out refusing to play for the Colts. Eli Manning made it known that he was not going to play for the chargers and all for the same reason. So you don't want to develop that reputation. So I think this uh, showing a willingness to, to, uh, to guarantee money beyond the first year of a contract, that's going to seem more enticing to not only only their own stars, but uh, f- outside free agents that want to that maybe want to come to Pittsburgh. So that's to me that's good news. Now, um, are they going to keep? Are they going to do this one hundred percent of the time? Probably not. No, it's probably going to have to take a special player for them to to. Um, uh, you know, uh, guarantee this kind of money in the future, whether it be uh, a quarterback, uh, uh, a skill position player, a cornerback. That's what, that's what it's going to be somebody who's going to be a, to me, a, to them, a generational talent. So uh, somebody like a Deontay Johnson, um, the way they feel, the way they appear to feel about receivers, as far as, giving them second contracts I, I, as much as I think he's a good player. Uh, it doesn't appear that they think so as far as, I mean, I, I'm sure they think he's a good player, but as far as being valuable enough to, to set a, 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 a new market, at least for them, for receivers by paying him uh, the richest contract they've ever given a receiver, which is probably what it's going to take to keep Deontay Johnson. So it probably doesn't bode well for, for, them keeping him, but you know, if they get the next version of a uh, Antonio Brown, then that person's going to know that, Hey, the Steelers are going to take care of me because they took care of TJ Watt. They took care of uh, Mika Fitzpatrick. So they're, they're willing to, to, to do what it takes to keep me. So to me, it was, it was a, a good all around deal. And, and, um, uh, for them, that's what you want to do. They're, they're both young players. They're both, I mean, TJ Watt, he's in his prime, but he might still have another level to go. And we know Mika Fitzpatrick still has maybe another level 
to reach before he's at the top of his game. So they're both young and they, they're going to be the leaders in that locker room and, and uh, in the, on that defense for, for many years to come. And it's just a matter of continuing to build around the two of them, because believe me, uh, the rest of the NFL is going to be doing whatever they can to stop TJ Watt, to stop Mika Fitzpatrick, to identify where he is on every play, just like they did with Troy Polamalu. So it's not, it's up to you now as the organization to build around those two and, and to put talented players around them to exploit the fact that, that, you know, the NFL is, is trying everything they can to stop those two superstars. So that's pretty much all I have to say about the Minka deal. I, I, I'm glad that it got done and it's, it's one less talking point for the summer, one less thing for people to worry about. And now they can kind of look ahead to training camp, which is only five weeks away from really tonight. So we'll see what happens. But I want to get into some some pretty cool off-season, quiet part of the off-season talk and talk about some uh, a game that, that, to me, is one of my favorite Steeler games ever in the history of the team. I think it's your greatest Super Bowl win. But it's a game that I didn't care about when it was actually going on live. And that was Super Bowl 13 between the Cowboys and the Steelers in the Orange Bowl on January 21st, 1979. Um, believe it or not, that was the last Super Bowl they played. That was the last game that they played that I just didn't care. I was six years old at the time. And I just, I had other things. I had other priorities in my life. I cared about Mr. Rogers, Sesame Street, superheroes, the Incredible Hulk. Those were my passions. Sports, you know, I, I, I didn't care. And, and to, be, to be honest, and this is going to seem sacrilege, but when I would see commercials involving the Steelers and the Cowboys or highlights, because the, um, the Cowboys were in white, and the Steelers were in black. I like the Cowboys because, you know, I grew up watching old Westerns where the good guy wore white and the black guy or the, the bad guy wore black. I uh, was a big Star Wars fan at the time. And, and uh, Luke Skywalker wore white. Darth Vader wore black. So that's what I associated with at that time. The Steelers were evil. The Cowboys were the good guys. So that's how, that, that's, that's how I started out. But obviously it didn't take... It didn't take long for me to, uh, for, for the yinzer blood to kick in and for me to become a huge Steeler fan. And it happened the following year when I took on the Rams in Super Bowl 14. But uh, it just it happened out of nowhere. I had no, no, I can't tell you when, when I became a fan. I just remember being a fan. Suddenly I was a fan. And if they would have lost that game against the Rams, I would have cried. How I got there, I don't know. But the year before, when they were playing the Cowboys, the greatest collection of talent the NFL has ever seen, these two teams, 23 future Hall of Famers, including the coaches and some executives. It was, it was to me, it was up to that point, it was certainly the most exciting Super Bowl that's ever been played. 
And there was so much at stake for the two teams. You know, the Cowboys, up to that point, they were on one heck of a run. Starting in 1966, uh, when they took on the uh, Packers for the right to go to the first Super Bowl, they lost that one in, in dramatic fashion. They lost the following year in the Ice Bowl. Same game, NFL title game, but it was called the Ice Bowl because it was played minus 13 degrees at Lambeau Field. Uh, so they had a lot of heartbreak early on. Uh, they lost Super Bowl five to the Colts, who were an inferior team. They should have won that game. Um, you know, but then they, they finally rebounded and, 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 and got off the schneid, so to speak, in, in Super Bowl six. They beat the Dolphins. Um, but then they fell off a little bit in 1974. They missed the playoffs. But in 1975, that draft... 12 of their rookies made the team. 12 rookies. It's almost unheard of, especially for a team that was pretty good. And that basically paved the way for them to have another decade or so of success. So, you know, they won Super Bowl 12 uh, a couple years later after they lost to the Steelers in Super Bowl 10. And then there they were in Super Bowl 13 against Pittsburgh, who won Super Bowls 9 and 10. Came close the previous two years, but but um, didn't make it. And now these two teams were going at it. And the winner of this game was going to be the first team ever to win three Super Bowls. And I think furthermore, whoever won this game could have had a rightful claim to the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL, at least up to that point. So there was a lot, a lot at stake in this game. And, you know, it was such a fantastic back and forth affair uh the lead changed hands what five different times i think in the let's see wait, let's see one two well three or four times in the first half and then in the second half the steelers maintained the lead but the cowboys very easily could have tied it but jackie smith um dropped an easy touchdown uh in the end zone and then pittsburgh scored two quick touchdowns to make it 35 17 Cowboys came back and, and got to within four, uh, but Pittsburgh closed it out. But had the Cowboys won that game, I mean, they could have very easily been dubbed, or well, they certainly would have been dubbed the team of the decade, not the Steelers, and maybe the greatest dynasty of all time. Who knows? Maybe they get over the hump another time or two after that uh, when they were go still in the middle of that run. You know, even with Dan, you know, they, they they transitioned from Roger Staubach to Danny White as their quarterback, and he was pretty darn good too. And they made it to three straight NFC title games in the early '80s. Had they maybe gotten over got over the hump against Pittsburgh in Super Bowl Thirteen, maybe they uh, it it uh, it it leads to more success. You know, it, it gives them more confidence and. And they win another Super Bowl. So who knows what happens after that? So to me, it was such a pivotal game, and uh, it, it it changed NFL history because the Steelers went on to win. Of course, they went on the next year to win to beat the Rams, four out of six, greatest dynasty ever. You know, so it it, it was such a pivotal game, and for me, not to care. I was watching an old rerun of Tarzan in in the living room. And my mom was in the kitchen watching it on a small TV while doing the dishes. 
uh, and I didn't care. And you know, that, that that's what was going on in my house at that time. And as far as the rest of my family, I, you know, my grandparents, my uncles and aunts, I have no idea what they were doing. Were they having Super Bowl parties? Did people have Super Bowl parties in the late seventies? Was it a thing? I don't know, but I didn't care. Fast forward one year, it meant everything to me. It was, it was, it was literally life or death if they won or lost that game against the Rams. So I just thought that was pretty neat. And, uh, I wanted to touch on that because it, it kind of, it was kind of brought up a couple weeks ago on, on the hangover. Uh, Brian asked both Shannon and I what our first memories were of, of the Steelers and mine was the Rams game. But I also kind of remember the Cowboys game. I just, I just wasn't worried about it. It, it was just a game. It didn't matter to me. So I just wanted to share that. And I want to I want to talk talk about one more thing. Um, uh, speaking of those seventy Super Bowl teams, the architect Chuck Knoll. Um, today's what the seventeenth. As I'm doing this show, so was it Tuesday or Monday? No, no, yeah. I I forget. Anyway, earlier in the week, he he it was the the uh, eighth year anniversary of his passing back in 2014. And it kind of went unnoticed. I don't think that many people brought it up or, or, or touched on it. But, you know, if there's anybody who had a greater impact on the Steelers than Chuck Knoll, you'll be hard-pressed hard to, to, to name it, to name that person. Chuck Knoll was so vital to who the Steelers are now. He was their vision. You know, Dan Rooney was the the president, he was the heart and soul of the team. There's no doubt about it. He was one who, who, um, he convinced his dad, Art, the chief, Art Rooney, to, to consider Nolan hire him. Um, so if it wasn't for Dan Rooney, Chuck Noll wouldn't have been hired. That's true. And once Dan Rooney took over the day to day operations, he really, transformed the franchise and, and, and lifted it up out of, helped to lift it up out of the doldrums that it had been stuck in for 40 years. Cause I mean, as much lovable as Art Rooney was, he was a great ambassador for the, 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 the city of Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the NFL, but he wasn't a great football guy. He wasn't a great, uh, in that, in that respect, he was great in other ways, but not as far as like a, 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 a pragmatic football guy that was not him his son Dan was and he was so influential meaning Dan Rooney for the Steelers and for the NFL by and large he was the heart and soul of the NFL too for a number of years you could make that claim but Chuck Knoll gave the Steelers organization the blueprint on how to win Dan Rooney said as much after Chuck Knoll passed away in 2014 Dan Rooney, to quote, uh, Dan Rooney said to quote Chuck Knoll, uh, sorry, to quote Dan Rooney, Chuck Knoll taught us how to win. And uh, he, he uh, Chuck Knoll was the one who, who gave them the philosophy of building through the draft prior to Knoll. I mean, they were just giving away draft picks like they were Tic Tacs uh, for just, washed up veteran players and, and these other teams were taking advantage of them um, uh, because uh, 
again, the Steelers weren't run by great football people until Dan Rooney took over. Uh, but, you know, Noel came in and said, you know, basically we discovered early on that people wanted to give us their has-beens, their washed-up players for draft picks. And that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to, to use these draft picks to build our organization that way. So um, the Steelers are very serious about doing that even to this day, 50 some years later. And that's all because of Chuck Knoll. And of course that's how they won their Super Bowls in the seventies. By 1979, there were no players on that Super Bowl 14 team that had played for anybody else in the NFL. They were all drafted and signed under Knoll. So he's the one who gave them uh, that philosophy. I believe he was he was instrumental in creating the Steeler way, meaning, you know, we we go at our own pace, we don't overreact, we don't um, uh, fly off the handle in the face of adversity, and you can see that to this very day. I mean, I mean, you know, what is, what what what's one of uh, Mike Tomlin's most recent uh, isms? We don't care, meaning we don't worry about what's going on around us. We stick to the plan. And what's another famous thing that, that um, Mike Tomlin likes to say? Don't blink. If it's like 21, 21 nothing uh, them, don't blink. Stay with me. You know, I, I believe that's, uh, you know, Chuck Noll sort of had that same uh, philosophy. He didn't really, he wasn't that demonstrative as uh, both Tomlin and, and Cower were, but, but he certainly, uh, had that philosophy. So he wasn't a perfect head coach. I mean, you know, he wasn't, you know, he had his flaws. Uh, he wasn't great about hiring assistants. He, he was kind of lackadaisical and he was also strangely loyal to them, even though they probably, you know, when they should have been fired, he, he kind of stuck with them, but as bad as things were under Noel under the last five or six, uh, during the last five or six years of his career, he, he left Bill Cowher a, uh, a really great roster, um, and and Cowher built on that, and, and you know the core of that those '90s teams were a lot of them were leftovers from Chuck Knoll's last seven or eight years here. So I just wanted to recognize Chuck Knoll, and and because uh, I don't think I'd be sitting here doing this podcast if it wasn't for Chuck Knoll, because you know he helped indirectly create so many millions of Steeler fans and you know he didn't care about fame he didn't like fame he, he shot away from the spotlight but he made the Steelers famous which they were infamous for through the first 36 years before he arrived in 1969 and uh to the Steelers credit they stuck with him uh through some pretty rough first three years uh, and they had been known to sort of, uh, you know, get rid of coaches pretty quickly before Noel. But the, to their credit, they stuck with him. And by 72, uh, they were ready to, to, to contend. And, and, and really, they've never stopped trying to contend since 1972. And it all started with Chuck Noll. So, you know, rest in peace to the emperor. Uh, I don't think we should, uh, we should forget about him. You know, we should you know, uh, 
acknowledge him more often than we do, I think, as, as fans, because he was we talk so much about Cower and Tomlin and we argue about about those guys and try to, you know, pit one against the other. But, you know, I think more people need to recognize Chuck Nolan and, and what he meant to this organization. So that's pretty much all I had for tonight. Uh, I will take some questions and comments and, and, and round out the show that way. Brian Brown says, I remember Super Bowl 13 and 14, my first two years as a Steelers fan. Yeah, uh, we're probably around the same age there, Brian. I'm, I just turned 50. And again, like my, my first uh, game that I remember was 14. Let's see. Uh, Sherry Richards says, we miss you, Chuck. Certainly we do. Mike O'Malley joins us. He says, what's up, BTSC family? Welcome, Michael. Sean Manahan says, sadly, I remember Super Bowl 30 first game. I was literally in tears after. Well, I know this is going to sound weird, but I have different memories of Super Bowl 40 or 30. I should say I can't talk today. 30. And actually that to me, that time is is one that I remember fondly. I know they lost and it's and it sucked at the time, but I was just so beside myself that they even made it because I never thought I'd see it again. You know, after, after that Super Bowl 14, I was seven. And then all of a sudden I'm fully invested after that game. And then the mediocre 80 set in and, you know, not much happened. I mean, they weren't horrible in the eighties. They actually made it to the AFC championship game the one year in 1984, but you know, they weren't, they weren't, one of the real contenders in, in, in the NFL during that decade, they were kind of bit players. They were afterthoughts. It's what a lot of teams go through whenever they have the kind of run that they did in the 1970s. So I went through that. I grew up as, and I was a teenager and just saw that mediocrity and there were some magical moments, but it was mostly mediocrity. And then the nineties, the first half of the nineties, you know, after Cower took over, uh, just some near misses, just some, you know, especially in 1994 against the Chargers in the AFC Championship game. Oh, that one really hurt. So I never thought, you know, and, and then you, you combine that with, with you throw in the Pirates' uh, disappointment, those three years in the early 90s after winning the NL East, they, they suffer one heartbreaking loss after another in the NLCS. And I was a big Pitt Panthers basketball fan. I still am, but it's harder to be these days. But back then, they, they seemed to have Final Four material, and yet they could never get past the second round. So all these near misses, I was never much of a Penguins fan, so them winning the Cup back-to-back didn't really do much for me. Um, so I never thought I'd see any of my favorite teams make it to that stage. And so for the Steelers to make it to Super Bowl thirty, even though they lost to you know a, a really dominant Cowboys seen one of the greatest teams the NFL has ever put uh, ever seen. Um, again, it sucked at the time. It was disappointing, but to me, it was one of my favorite times overall. Those two weeks leading up to that Super Bowl when they beat the Colts, it was just, I, I still think about that to this day. So uh, a lot of people have, have, people still, you know, think back to that Super Bowl 30 team and, and, it brings them uh, sorrow, but to me, it just, it's just a fond memory. This is one from Southside Doc. 
I know the field at St. Vincent College is named after Noel, but if the rights for Heinz Field go away, I wouldn't mind it renamed after him. Well, I mean, that's a great thought, uh, Southside Doc. Uh, but with there being so much money in these uh, naming rights, if it, if it would include Chuck Noel's name, which I think would be a great idea, it would have to include some kind of sponsor to go along with it, whether it be, you know, UPMC or PNC or you name it. Hunt's ketchup. Ooh, perish the thought. But, you know, something like that, you know, like the UPMC Chuck Noel Field. That's what it would have to be. It, it, would, it couldn't be solely Chuck Noel Field because there's just so much money involved. And I talked about revenue streams earlier. That's a big revenue stream for, for NFL teams now, sports teams in general. That's why uh, just about every, every, uh, sporting venue in, in professional sports in America today has uh, has a uh, a brand name in in the title so but it would be it would be a nice gesture I think it would be great but I also think it's pretty fitting that that a a, a practice field at St. Vincent College the 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 the, the, uh, the stadium there is is uh, named after Mo because the thing he loved to do more than anything else in this world was teach. He loved to teach the players. He loved to motivate them through showing them how to get the job done. He once said that, you know, people think that that motivation comes from the mouth. You know, we got to do it. We got to do it. It's, it's the time is now, you know. You, you've heard every every pregame speech. And you know, there's something to be said for that. But I've always responded more to the to the person who could just calmly show me how to get the job done. That motivates me. If you can show me cuz I'm a self-starter. If you can show me how to get the job done, that's all I need. So, you know, he his greatest joy was coaching players and teaching them, teaching them the fundamentals, improving their fundamentals. So the fact that they named uh, a practice field after him, I think it, it, it's pretty fitting. But again, it would be nice uh, for him to get a some uh, maybe a little greater recognition, maybe a statue. How's this? How about a statue? You know? Right outside of Heinz Field. That, that would be fantastic. He certainly is deserving of that. Because, again, I think the reason why we're all so fanatical, for better or for worse, sometimes, is because of Chuck Noll. He started all this. Again, Dan Rooney was heart and soul, but Chuck Noll gave them the vision. And a lot of his philosophies, running the ball, uh, out-hitting your opponent, it all started with Chuck Noll. So he's such a such a and such an underrated coach but a lot of that had to do with the fact that he he shot away from the spotlight he didn't like to do commercials he wasn't like he didn't like he wasn't he didn't become a, a studio analyst after he retired or anything like that he just just kind of went home and with his family that was chuck Noll. sherry richard says of the first 40 years the the futility of our pittsburgh steelers the same old steelers sos Examples cutting Johnny Unitas and Len Dawson. They had no clue. That's true. That you can't, it's hard to argue. I mean, um, I saw a story once where like way back in the day, like probably the forties or the fifties, they drafted a guy in the first round because they saw a, a promotional picture of him in a newspaper. They saw his college picture. I guess he was posing the pass or catch or whatever he was doing. And they, they, they liked his picture. So they drafted him in the first round, you know, 
Uh, so yeah, they 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 had their struggles over the first forty years. But I mean, when you think about it, if if they if they keep Johnny Unitas, if they don't cut Lenny Dawson, maybe there's no Chuck Noll or Terry Bradshaw or the Steel Curtain or or the, that great '70s thing and how everybody fell in love with the team all at once and how they became the uh, the biggest thing in in town and and in many ways the biggest thing in the NFL. So who knows? Maybe it all happened for a reason. That's my that's what my mother always says. Yeah, John Funker, who joins us, and this is true. Modern day journalists act like there was only Bill Belichick. Billy B says, as far as great coaches go, yeah, that's true. Well, that's just that's just recency bias, is what that is. What was it uh, a number of years ago when he finally surpassed Noel as the winningest Super Bowl coach? People were suggesting, oh, maybe they should change the the uh, name of the Super Bowl trophy to the Belichick Bowl or whatever you know, trophy, and I and I and I wrote something. Well, Noel was the winningest coach for like a decade. Actually, no, he was he was the winningest Super Bowl coach from 1980 up until Belichick caught him. Nobody ever suggested that they change it to the Noel Trophy, you know. So that's 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 a product of recency bias and social media and everybody weighing in you know, on, on every little topic. George Teston says they also cut Ed O'Neill and that worked out well for, for both sides. I think, I think you're right. Cause without that, well, I mean, you know, there's no married with show. Although there could have been, I mean, Fred Dreyer was a, a great football player and he, he went out, he went on to make a uh, hunter. So, you know, maybe, maybe Ed O'Neill could have had a, a movie career or TV career after that, but yeah, you're probably right. It, it worked out for the best for, for uh, both of them because he he gave us married with children and he gave us modern family two of the greatest shows ever so it's hard to argue with uh with uh you know michael jordan was cut by his high school team and went on to become the greatest basketball player ever ed o'neill was, was cut by the uh the steelers and went on to be a great actor so there you go alex Karras is another one that's right yeah, um, um, Blazing Saddles, and of course Webster. Michael O'Malley asks Tony, "Do you think the offense will be better without Ben?" Well, yes, quite frankly, but I think a lot of that will have to do with also the offensive line because I think I anticipate the line being better this year than it was the last two years, and I think with with um, with you having three quarterbacks now that are more mobile than Ben was and more capable of running the RPO plays and more adaptable to Matt Canada's offense, especially in the case of Trubisky and, 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 and Pickett. Uh, I think, I think the offense can, can function better now because it was, I, I think it basically it was, a, it was a, it was a, a weird marriage between the two of them last year with uh, Matt Canada wanting to do the things he, or, or coming in with a certain philosophy you know, that was, uh, you know, jet sweeps, RPOs and everything. And then you have Ben who was used to what he was used to and certainly wasn't physically capable of doing any of the things that Matt Canada wanted to do with his offense. So, yeah, I think from that standpoint alone, it might be a better offense. But I think also you're going to have better quarterback play because uh, not that any of these guys are going to be better than Ben Roethlisberger was in his prime, but certainly they they have a great chance of being better than Roethlisberger was last year and, and the year before that. So. I think it could be 
better this year without Ben. Sherry Richards says, agree, because they don't have to run just three to eight yard routes. That's right. That was so obvious the last year and a half under Ben that teams knew what they were going to do. And they crowded the line of scrimmage. They, they did everything they could to stop the run. And on the way to, to doing that, they were able to knock down passes and, and, and disrupt receivers who were just playing, who, who were lining, who were setting up five, 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. If that, so yeah. State of the Steelers says great show, Tony outside of special teams. How do you, how do the Steelers use Connor Hayward? Moose and Gentry are locks at one and two. That's a good question. I, I don't know. He's such a, he's such a, um, a, um, fascinating player because he's 5'11, 230 pounds. That's not really ideal for a tight end, but he, you know, he played, uh, he, he made some great catches in college. I mean, he has great hands. He's a great athlete. He's not just a, a, a lumbering fullback who, who can catch the ball. I mean, he's, he's a, a fantastic athlete and, you know, he can run the ball. Um, so, I mean, he could be one of those, I, I, I always say he, he could be the, t, the uh, Derek Watt that Derek, Derek Watt has never, never been. That's how I look at, at Connor Hayward. Um, if he, you know, if he, if he make if he, if he catches on, he's going to have to make the team first. And of course, uh, Excel. I mean, it's, it's, it's always easy to get excited about these guys in the off season until training camp starts, but you know, six round picks are, uh, the odds are usually long. So he's going to have to catch, he's going to have to make the team and then prove that prove his worth. But I look for him to be a multifaceted, uh, type player, but beyond that, it's hard to say because he's so, he's so unique as far as his skill set. All right, Swiss Army knife. There you go. Kathy Ford says of Connor Hayward. That's that's of course that's Trey Norwood too, but he's on defense. All right. I think on that note, I'm going to call it a night. I've rambled on long enough. Don't forget to join me and Jeremy Betts on on Sunday night for the Q and A. But of course, keep tuning in. Keep checking your your behind the Still curtain podcast queue because there's going to be so many shows in there each and every day. Um, Check us out on, on, on YouTube and Facebook and, of course, any audio platform. And check out Behind the Store Curtain. We're going to keep bringing you great content. And until I talk to you again, you guys have a great weekend and go Steelers. Take care, everybody. Stop and check out.